Welcome back to the Magnum Rewatch Podcast, where the mustache abides. You don't look happy about that one. That was not... Well, I mean, it was better than my mustache puns from last episode. Yeah, but it's a very low range on how bad or good a mustache pun can really be. I think the lowest level of the floor is awful, but the highest possible floor is still terrible. Isn't that great? No. I'm Graham Stark. I'm Kathleen DeVere. We're from Loading Ready Run, and we do funny stuff, though you wouldn't know it. I mean, yeah, from this podcast, which is a very serious look at 1980s television. And we're here to talk about the serious episode, The Ugliest Dog in Hawaii. This actually is much more of a lighthearted episode, despite us joking recently about, oh yeah, this show's so lighthearted. The Holocaust. The Troubles. Yeah. But no, this one actually is lighthearted. It's about a dog named Sir Algernon Farnsworth. Algy for short. Or Algy for short. And, uh... Magnum trying to protect him from would-be dog nappers. Comical mobsters. So the episode begins, and we see a boat dock. I don't know where the boat's coming from. I mean, probably the mainland? I guess. That seems like it'd be a heck of a long boat trip. Mm. And we see a car uh, waiting outside with two guys in it and an old dude in the back seat. And the guys have uniforms, and they are working for the... For the government, I think. For the the quarantine, government quarantine thing. Yeah. Department of Health, I guess. I mean, it looks like they should be working there, but they're also driving like a a K-car, like a big sedan. Yeah. I mean, don't they normally drive vans with labels? Well, it's immediately apparent that these guys are not actually what they're dressed as because uh, they start having an argument that they're parked there, which is on a yellow line, and since they're trying to pull a job, they don't want to draw any needless attention to themselves. And the guy in the back seat, the older guy, is like, nah, it'll be fine. Don't worry about it. And the two guys in front are like, okay, this just seems weird that, you know, we're trying to steal this dog. And you're like, oh, okay. Hold on. I have to object. You did not accurately portray that scene because you did not in any way, shape, or form tell, like, demonstrate how awful the guy's accent was. You gotta dial it up like three thousand percent. Okay. So it's more like Don't worry about it, you guys. We'll be fine here on this yellow line. I know what's up. I I knocked over criminal things with your dad back in the day. I'm your uncle somehow, kind of. We're criminals. Yeah. Like that, but cartoonier. Not a fan of his acting, huh? Oh. We'll get into that later, but ugh. All right. Eventually, the two younger guys are like, fine, we'll park on the yellow line. And they go inside. And of course, a cop immediately comes up and is like, hey, you can't park here. And the guy in the back seat's like, yeah, just picking up somebody inside. Don't worry about it. Forget about it. Uh, and uh, the cop's like, no, that's, uh, yeah, but you actually can't park here. It's not a loading zone. You need to move the car. And the guy in the back seat just bribes him. He just, he starts pulling money out of his wallet while he's talking. And the cop, like takes his hat off and like sort of holds it conspicuously at hip level beside the window so that the guy can put the money in the hat and then the policeman can put the hat back on and leave and be like, all right then, well, I guess you're parking on this yellow line. It's really strange. It's an odd little character moment that's totally unnecessary, but I guess it shows that this guy has no fear of bribing policemen. Yeah, he's got no scruples, I think is what this is demonstrating. We cut to inside where the luggage is and we see uh, Mrs. Marsden, played by Kathleen Nolan, uh, the first woman ever elected president of the Screen Actors Guild. Oh, Fun fact, her. yeah. So she goes on to do big things. Yeah, oh, she's, she's been in tons of stuff over the 
over the years. She actually shows up again in Magnum in season two, apparently, as a different character, of course. Mm. So she shows up and talks to the luggage guy and is like, I must get my dogs to Algernon Farnsworth. It won't do for him to be, you know, whatever we have. We must get him to the kennels for his quarantine period. And the guy at the luggage is like, someone just came and took him already. She's like, what? She, you know, loses it as you would if your pet is like, so someone else took it. Mm -hmm. And he's like, yeah, those guys did. Hey, wait, get after them. And they start chasing the two guys who are very calmly and quietly pushing Sir Algernon Farnsworth's uh, rolly kennel out of the dock. Mm -hmm. And then they see they're being chased and they start hauling ass and someone else rounds the corner and with a different kennel and falls in, there's an accident or whatever. And the two guys peace out and run away. But Algernon Farnsworth is okay. Well, hopefully the pet in that other kennel that gets just like thrown in the air and like does like three flips and then lands like on its side is okay. I imagine there's a terrified cat in there. Probably, yeah. Why is there a, there's a quarantine? I I know that you looked this up. I assume this is a real thing that there was a, there's a pet quarantine in Hawaii. There absolutely is. Okay. So this is because of, okay. I am, I am guessing this is okay. me going out on a far reaching limb here. It's something to do with their, with agriculture. Uh, it is not actually. I, I, I'm honestly very surprised by that. Okay. Well, here's the deal. Did you know that Hawaii is natively rabies free? Is about rabies? There's I... no rabies in Hawaii. Huh. And so that means pets that are born and live in Hawaii don't need rabies vaccinations. People aren't at risk from getting rabies. But I mean, like, think about the animals that carry rabies. It's like raccoons and possums and all of that stuff. None of that is native to Hawaii. No bats? No. no none of the bats there have rabies. Wow. So the whole ecosystem is rabies-free. And as you know, rabies is, is like, deadly and it's, it's easily transmissible. So Hawaii has a, a rabies quarantine. So in 1912... People in Hawaii figured out that they needed to quarantine animals coming in. Uh, so they enacted this 120-day quarantine program. That's a long time. Yeah, that's four months. And then in 2003, they realized that if you had your pet vaccinated for rabies ahead of time twice in their lifetime and sent in some blood tests that had showed your pet had been clear for rabies for over 120 days and it had a microchip in it, that would let you quarantine your pet for five days. Oh, but that's, that's not so bad. No matter what, your pet has to be in quarantine for five days at the minimum when it comes into Hawaii to avoid this, uh, to make sure that they don't have rabies. So what about, so as an example, we have two cats that have not had rabies vaccinations because they're indoor cats. Well, no, Baxter has. We had to give him a rabies vaccination to get him to Canada. Oh, right, right, right. But two of them? Neither of them have had two. No. So how long would they have to wait if we suddenly moved to Hawaii? Uh, they would have to wait 120 days. They'd have to be in quarantine for... Separately. Separately. Ooh. Here's the quarantine conditions are not that bad. By the way, that would also cost us quite a bit of money. The 30-day quarantine program costs $655. The four-month quarantine program costs $1,080. And the five-days program runs from 165 to 224 Yikes. But, I mean, they give your cats and dogs, like, really big cages. If you have to quarantine a dog, the kennels are all six feet wide. And uh, if it's a small dog, it gets a 14-foot-long kennel. A large dog gets 25-foot-long kennels, and they're all 7 feet high. Uh, cat kennels are 5 feet wide, 10 feet long, and they include platforms and a sheltered area and a catwalk. And each kennel has a bench, so you can come in and visit your pets while they're in quarantine. While they contemplate what they did so wrong. Yeah, unfortunately, pets are housed separately. So for our cats that really like each other and like to cuddle, this would be bad because they could not spend time with each other. Uh, but if you come in to visit, you can bring all of your pets and you together. So your dogs and cats that like each other can visit. But overall, it's pretty, it's pretty strict. But it's for a good reason. And 
if you are thinking, but I want to move to Hawaii, uh, I don't want to do this to my pets, you're in luck. If you live in Guam, the British Isles, Australia, or New Zealand, apparently all these places are also rabies-free, so all you have to do is the five-day quarantine, and you can apply for an exemption. So it sucks for us. Yes. But we're not really chomping at the bit to move to Hawaii. I mean, no. So. But I mean, you know, if we if you're looking into it, hmm. if you're even thinking about it, just go get your pets vaccinated for rabies because it will save you a lot of time and money. Because like I said, if you can get the five day quarantine, it's like 200 bucks. If you can get if you have to pay for a month, it's or the four month quarantine, it's like over a thousand. And it's probably even more expensive for Mrs. Marsden here because she obviously got some fancy kennel because I remember now the guys are disguised as animal control. The guy at the luggage says, oh, yeah, animal control came to take him away for the quarantine. And she sort of laughs it off as saying, well, no, I'd never put poor algae into government animal control. I, I have, you know, I've booked him a space at the whatever kennels. You have to book months in advance, you understand. Hmm. Uh, and then that's what sort of tips her off that, that something is wrong. However, interestingly enough, that is what happens. Animal control comes and meets your pet at the airport and takes them there. You don't do it. It's all handled by the government to make sure that the pet actually gets into quarantine. Well, I mean, if you're totally rabies-free and you want to keep it that way... It seems like a good policy, honestly. Yeah. Once we've determined that algae is safe, we cut to Higgins in mid-conversation with Magnum, explaining the situation, and that Higgins has volunteered Magnum's services to Mrs. Marsden, because Mrs. Marsden is a senior member of the King Kamehameha Club and a wealthy socialite. And a friend of Robin Masters. And a friend of Robin Masters. And Higgins has volunteered Magnum. He's Magnum's been voluntold. Yeah, to help out with this. And Magnum's like, "What? why? Why is, I mean, they got it back, so it's fine. And Higgins is like, well, they think someone might try again or something, you know. Ransom, maybe, who knows. And Magnum's like, oh, sure, tennis courts. What? I want to, I want to use the tennis courts. And uh, Higgins says, no, no, we couldn't possibly. So-and-so and so-and-so, famous tennis. So-and-sos. Yeah. Te- oh, no, it's like, no, he says like something and something, but one of them is named Bjorn. Yeah. And of it's, course, this is the era of Bjorn Borg, super yeah. famous tennis player. It's meant to be famous tennis people. Mm-hmm. It's They're not actually explicitly named as such, but it's meant to evoke the idea that their famous tennis pros are coming to visit and you couldn't possibly. And Magnum's like, great, they can help me out with my game. Uh, and then Higgins sort of has to capitulate and stares witheringly almost at the camera, but not quite. That's for later. Yeah. I like this this turn of events where now Magnum is, is, is Higgins needs something from Magnum and Magnum is like, all right, fine, but I want something from you. Magnum decides that he will go and investigate the kennel where Algie is staying. And Mrs. Marsden says, okay, great. I'll tell them to expect you. And Magnum says, no, no, no. I don't want them stepping up security because they think they're going to get inspected. I'll take care of it myself. We cut to Old Mustache Man, the elder criminal. Uh, the character's name is Victor De Gorgio. De, De Giorgio. De, De Badactio. De ba- <laughs> this man was nominated for an Oscar. Well, he's not doing a very good job here. For basically this role. Really? Not for literally this role, for basically this role. He was in The Godfather 2. Really? Yeah. The well, actor, he, He's Michael, delivering a fresh slab of ham here. <laughs> the actor, Michael Gazzo played Frankie Pentagelli in The Godfather Part Two and was nominated for a Best Supporting Actor for that role. Did he win? He did not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was nominated. I mean, that's more nominations than I've ever racked up, to be <laughs> fair. 
But he is kind of chewing the scenery in this episode, to be fair. Graham, he sounds like a Warner Brothers cartoon. It's, it, yeah, I'm honestly, it's not just that he's acting like that, it's that he is written like a stereotype. Yeah. So he's, he's heckling girls on the beach and then comes back to uh, Steve, one of the younger guys, and is like, what, don't you like girls? Come on, you, you know, help me, help me. You know, make them uncomfortable and catcall them. And Steve is like, yeah, no, I like girls fine, but I have to fill out this paperwork. Yeah, he inexplicably has a typewriter in the bright sun, like, in the backyard. Yeah. Victor, the older guy, mustache, says, uh, you know, harasses him. He's like, oh, just because you were, you know, head of the Harvard chess team, you think you're so smart. To which Steve bristles and says, Yale. (laughs) (laughs) And um, what it comes down to is they have a fundamental disagreement on how one should do a crime. Victor is very uh, run and gun, work it out. What do you need doing? Cool, we'll go there, we'll figure it out. And the other guys like to use finesse. Or at least a brain cell or two. Yeah. I mean, it's that, it's, it's that fancy Yale education. But seriously, even in this, the, the consequence-free days of, of uh, airport murders, they, you can't literally just go and kill people in broad daylight most of the time. Yeah, so they say that they're going to disguise themselves as members of the Department of Quarantine. And come and inspect the kennel. And we get a night. we get a close-up shot of one of their fake IDs with like their picture, like picture of Steve there, and it says like Department of Quarantine or whatever. And we cut from that to an almost identically framed shot of a different fake ID for the Department of Health with Magnum's picture on it. This is a beautiful edit. Because <laughs> he's doing exactly the same thing. He's talking to the night watchman, and he's like, oh, yeah, no, I know it's late at night, but I got held up doing this, that, and the other thing, and I got to do this because so-and-so's coming in, and we got to get this taken care of now. And the night watchman's like, I've been doing this for 20 years, and I've never seen anything like this happen. First the other guys, now you. And Magnum's like, the other guys? Are they still here? Super goes in and catches them basically being afraid of the dog. Which is, is barking and growling at them, though. Yeah. It looks like it'll give you a nasty nip. But there's two of them and one of him, and even though it's Magnum, they still manage to get the drop on him. And they, like, inject him with whatever it was they were going to inject with the dog. Some sort of, like, sedative, probably. Meanwhile, algae is just like... And the sweet action music for this scene uh, will become the main title theme mm-hmm. in, a, in a couple episodes. So you're thinking, boy, is this like a purebred dog or something like that? No, algae appears to be a mutt. Not like a fancy dog or anything. I can actually tell you exactly what he is. Oh, what what exact kind of dog is he? He is a 12-year-old Staffordshire Bull Terrier and Smooth Fox Terrier mix. Oh, okay. His real name is Leo the Dog. I guess he was old because he's got lots of weight around his muzzle. He appeared in episodes of MASH and Kung Fu and would later become a regular cast member of the 1982 series Tales of the Gold Monkey. Produced by Donald P. Belisario. Whoa. That's maybe not one of his better known hits. Uh, Leo the dog passed away in 1989. Whoa, that's old. At the age of 21. That is old for a dog. Yeah. He's already 12 in this episode. Wow. 21. That's really old. It's impressive. You mentioned that he looks like kind of a a mix, a mutt. Uh, Higgins feels much the same way. As Magnum is explaining what happened uh, after waking back up, Higgins says, well, Zeus and Apollo are much better than the mongrels at the quarantine or whatever. And Magnum says, well, he stuck with me, unlike Zeus and Apollo. And Higgins just says, exactly. Yeah. And then looks 
dead at the camera. Higgins does not do this very often. Usually it's Magnum who does this. I know we've mentioned it a couple times. Higgins does not do a lot of fourth wall breaking looks to the camera. According to the Magnum trivia website, he doesn't get to do this again until season eight. Really? <laughs> Apparently not. Oh, well, Apparently they were like, Higgins looking at the camera, that's too much. This, that's, that, that's Magnum's thing. Which makes yeah. sense. Magnum's the one narrating, right? However, if you are watching along the DVDs with us, maybe go back, rewind, treasure this rare moment of good, it's a good two to three seconds of, of maintained eye contact between you and Jonathan Hillerman. Yeah. So who should arrive on the Robin's Ma- Robin Masters estate but TC and his youth sports team? Yes, we find out that TC coaches a youth baseball team because he's great. Yeah, and they're there to build a dog run. And Higgins is like, pardon F? <laughs> Higgins is really not happy about this. What's happening is, uh, as explained by a member of the actual board of quarantine who shows up there, uh, Sharon, Magnum has made a deal that because there's now been two attempts to kidnap Algie, he can stay there, but they have to make sure that he's under, there's a there's a quarantine, so a dog run is being made for him. Considering Higgins set this up, he's real cranky about this whole thing. You know, this has gone from, I am doing a favor and I have voluntold you to do this because, you know, whatever, I don't really respect you that much, to this has really actually come around and is not going very well for me because it's actually turning into a thing and he's mad because this is going to tear up a bunch of the landscaping and like be an eyesore and they want to put it in by the tennis courts because the dog can't be too close to a tidal pool, according to Sharon, because, you know, it shouldn't come in contact with seawater or something like that. I don't know. And Higgins asks Magnum how long and Magnum says a year. And Higgins is like, this dog is going to be here for a year. And Magnum says, no, 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 no. I want the tennis courts for a year. After all of this work, the dog is going to be there for four months because it's a four-month quarantine, as we've previously learned. Uh, well, actually, he says that the dog will be there for probably a week until they get this figured out. And then they can... And then they can move it back to the kennels. Yeah. But Higgins, you know, still has some control over over some things. And when they, when Magnum and Sharon from the Department of Quarantine or whatever go to retrieve algae from the kennel, uh, the, the Ferrari, Robin 1, has mysteriously disappeared. So they take uh, Robin 3, this is the first time we've seen it, uh, the Jimmy. It's mm. GMC Jimmy time. So Robin Masters, we have confirmed three vehicles. Robin 1, the Ferrari. Robin 2, the Audi. The former Audi. You were right, which exploded. That's a good point. And then Robin 3, the GMC Jimmy. Now, I just want to point out that you think that this... Okay, you've all seen these trucks around your town. They're like big brown Jimmys with like orange panels, typically driven by skids and drug dealers. This is exactly the same kind of Jimmy, except it's new and it's disconcerting not to have people look at it and say, that is a vehicle for a scumbag. (laughs) Well, Magnum's driving it. Maybe people won't laugh at him so much. It does look more like the kind of car that Magnum would own. Oh, by the way, the state of uh, the it's the animal industry division that handles quarantine now. Who Thank knows you. what it is? I know I keep saying 19- Department of Quarantine. I I hope that that came across as a complete fabrication that I'm just making up because I don't know what it's really called. Yeah, well, I mean, who knows what it was in 1981, right? Yeah. But at at now you'll be dealing with the animal industry division of yeah. the Hawaiian government. But guess who's in the parking lot as well? Oh my God, is it Yale One and Yale Two? And old mustache guy. <laughs> who is just devouring scenery, spinning tales of when he and their dad uh, would, you know, rob banks and uh, back in the days with Al Capone. Yeah, he doesn't like how how the kids are doing crime these days. 
Yeah, with all their forethought and planning and not murdering people in plain sight. In fact, when they see uh, Magnum and Sharon and Algy coming out of the animal control or the kennels, what does Mustache advocate they do? Uh, catch the dog on the road. But also, and then just kill Magnum and Sharon. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, also that. I guess that's a little bit more uh, crazy. Yeah, yeah. and then the even, and Yale 1 and Yale 2 are like, we can't murder two people in broad daylight. And he's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> that's about how he sounds, yeah. They pull away, they're driving down the road. Magnum realizes that they're being tailed and just sort of says, damn, <laughs> to himself, because he sort of figured it might happen. Mm-hmm. Pulls into the gas station and Sharon's like, but it's full and he's like yeah the 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 gauge sometimes sticks just uh wait here uh tell the attendant to fill it up gas station attendants how quaint yeah there's no such thing as full serve anymore i mean there is but it's very rare you know i'm I'm expecting all the comments you know like oh it's full serve around here yeah it's not where we where we live and then of course he has to rush to the payphone right that's that, that that's why he had to pull over the gas station but he's he's trying not to worry Sharon, so he's like, uh, must get, run across parking lot to payphone. Not that he's actually out of breath, but it's just funny. He calls up TC. His youth sports team got paid their 200 bucks to split up between them for helping put together the dog run. But uh, TC is still owed $163.59, and he's uh, pretty annoyed that Magnum is calling him to ask for another favor. Uh, I mean, that's fair. $163.59 is a lot of money in 1981. Mm-hmm. In fact... Adjusting for inflation, it is. It's smoke weed every day. It's four hundred and twenty dollars and sixty cents. <laughs> that's a lot of money. That uh, it's entertaining. You make that joke. That, that's going to be relevant in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, while Magnum is trying to convince TC that they're being followed, and Magnum would really prefer some backup, and gives TC the rough geographic location that they're at, and tells him to get in the air and come over there. The Yale two, I guess we'll call him shows up at the driver's door of Magnum's Jimmy and is like, hey, we're with the we're with the five O, we're with the cops, you know, we need we need your help, uh, or we need to we're here to take Algae into custody and, you know, help out with this. And she's like, I didn't Magnum didn't tell me there was police. And he's like, Oh yeah, well we told him not to, so don't worry about it. And she's like, I don't I don't trust you and Algie starts barking and he's like, Oh just give me the dog and like reaches into the car, pulls the door open. The other guy runs over as well. Magnum Here's this because she she's like Magnum and screams for him and he runs over and does a great like shoulder tap excuse me wham and knocks one of them flat mm-hmm. and pulls the other one out jumps in the car and tears out of the gas station while the other guys uh, jump back into the car which is now being driven by the old guy mm-hmm. who says well there ain't gonna be no witnesses now and takes off after them and now this is when I was like this is the thing the guy keeps giving them crap that their plans don't work he's like. You know, we we did the thing at the at the port. We did the thing where you pretend to be from the Department of Health. We did this thing where you pretend to be the cops and take them quietly. Now we're doing it my way. It's car chase time. And granted, their plans didn't work, but they were all good plans. Yeah, they were. I better. don't think he has like I I see where he's coming from. I appreciate his frustration. Yes, <laughs> but <laughs> I feel like he's missing. Some vision here. A lot of these plans were better and had a much higher chance of succeeding than go into somewhere in broad daylight and murder people until you get the dog. Yeah. Which is basically his only suggestion for plans. Yeah. So it's time to off-road. Conveniently, Magnum's brought the Jimmy. 
So they they haul off the highway onto some dirt road, which ends them up in a banana plantation. And the guy follows them in in their like big comical sedan, saying, "I'm gonna get that mutt if it's the last thing I do." Like the, he is a parody. Oh yeah, they are being chased by the wily E. Coyote of Chicago gangster stereotypes. <laughs> they start shooting at the Jimmy too. They like they actually start shooting, and Sharon's like, "Okay, I believe they're not the cops now." Uh, and one stray bullet hits the gas tank and starts leaking, and eventually the Jimmy just, like, grinds to a halt. She's like, oh, that's, I thought you were lying to me about the Jimmy being out of gas. And he's like, I, I was, but they shot the tank. Uh, yeah. <laughs> womp, womp, womp. So they get out, they grab algae, and they start walking through the banana plantation. By the way, this dog does not know how to be quiet. No, it will not shut up. It keeps barking. Speaking of things that don't know how to be quiet, random jungle noises, it's the, like, default how to tell that we're in a jungle sound effect. Kookaburras. Only native to Australia. Mm-hmm. Very loud and angry in this banana plantation. Mm-hmm. Also, like a million monkeys who are clearly like having a scrap. Yeah. Yeah. Like this is the, it's the one jungle track played over and over again. Yeah. The, the other car, the chasing car gets stuck and they get out uh, and they start following through. They can hear because the dog is barking and they, but they can't hear the Jimmy. They know the, the other car is stuck somehow and that they can, they can now chase them on foot. It should be mentioned. Magnum asked Mrs. Marsden if she if Algy was kidnapped, if they if she would be willing to pay a ransom, and she said that she would. But we still don't actually know why these guys want the dog. Yeah. Is it is it exceptional in some way? And Higgins keeps questioning it too. He's like, I don't understand what's so special about this dog. Yeah, neither Sharon doesn't understand either. She's just like, I don't know what's happening. By the way, this is the lady who wanted to make sure the dog was in quarantine mm-hmm. and had been like, was going to be X many meters from the ocean and all this. And now, she, now they are literally walking through like a former banana plantation, interacting with the wild, spreading presumed rabies everywhere. But I guess it's okay now. Time to traipse through the jungle uh, where they run into a couple of bootleg pot growers. Yeah, and the following big Hawaiian dudes with with shotguns. With, yeah, and the following amazing exchange happens. They get held up by these guys. Magnum says, "Oh hi." The pot farmer says, "You're trespassing, and I got the right to shoot trespassers." Sharon says, "We're not trespassing. We're being chased." You're being chased? Yes. Besides, the banana plantations were converted back to the government when the leases ran out, so we can't be trespassing. Especially since I work for the gov and Magnum, who has now noticed. The pot plants mm. is like me. She works for me. We got a couple of the guys from the five O on our tail. And Sharon's like, wait, what? I thought you said they weren't from the five O. And Magnum's like, well, not all of them. The justice department always sends a couple local cops with the federal agents. The pot farmer's like, whoa, hang on. You got the feds after you. Sharon's like, no. And Magnum, Magnum goes, yeah, yeah, no, totally. We came up here in our pickup with a load of sea leaves. He says, as in cannabis leaves, which presumably he knows is like pot farmer jargon for, for pot plants. But the okay, hold on, Inter, interjecting some real. I'm from British Columbia. I just know these things. There's no pot in the leaves. I know. He said sea. He says sea leaves. I assume it means that he means plants to plant. Uh, he says we were looking for our patch. Why did you just say a load of bud. I don't know. Look, we don't. I don't know 1980s pot lingo. Do you? It can't have evolved that much in 35 don't, years. Don't don't judge Magnum. He's hip with the kids. He says, so he's trying to make it out that they're also pot farmers. He's like, we were looking for our patch when they jumped us. You see, we didn't realize you guys were already up here. I'm sorry. The pot farmer sort of like lowers his gun. He's like, oh, oh okay, that's okay. Magnum's like, how, how far is the highway from here? Oh, about a mile down. 
and uh, Sharon, who's now catching up, is like, Thomas, like, what? This is cannabis. Oh my God, it's so painful. <laughs> and Magnum's like, yeah, yeah, I know. And then to the farmer, your stuff looks much healthier than ours anyway. And he's like, oh yeah, you should try our puna buds, brah. <laughs> like, yeah, that's that's the good stuff. Anyway, <clears throat> let's go. And grabs Sharon and is Sharon is, is like, unbelievably dumb here. It's <laughs> like, but I love that he managed to talk his way out of that really smoothly with like lying to Sharon and the farmers just to keep the story like his bullshit story going. And it mm-hmm. totally worked. Mm-hmm. You know, they're like, oh, fellow pot farmers, but this is a cool guy. He doesn't want to grow on our patch. Sweet. All right, later, brah. Yeah. But then, of course, as soon as they're away, Magnum stops, and Sharon's like, well, why do we stop running? Come on, let's go. And Magnum's like, just a sec, just a sec. I want to try and get a fix on where this is so I can let the cops know about this. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> Magnum is not down with the hootie mac. Yeah. He does not enjoy a dank nug from na- from time to time. He's a straight-living Navy man. You know who else doesn't know about growing pot? Uh, Yale guys? No, they do. Old Mustache Man has no idea what's going on. Because, they had pot in the 30s. Well, here's the thing. They start being shot at. Steve is like, who the hell are they? Victor, the old guy, goes, ah, they got to be moonshiners. <laughs> there must be a still around here somewhere. As they're and standing in between mi- two huge pot plants. Mitch is like, they're growing grass. We've stumbled onto their patch. And then Victor says, grass? Why would anyone grow grass in a banana plantation? I don't understand. And you're just like, oh my God. Yeah, I'm watching a cartoon. This is a cartoon. Oh no. It's like, I'm going to have to go install iTunes for my grandpa and then explain what pot is. So they they run away. They get out of the banana patch. Yeah, they are being shot at by the the farmers because the farmers think that they are... They think they're the Fed. So they they get in an altercation. You never find out what happens to the pot farmers. I assume that they're okay and that the the criminals just like run around them. Cause, and sort of return fire. Well, Victor like takes the other guy's guns and is like, you guys run around and then has both pistols while the two Yaleys uh, run, run around mm-hmm. to, to get away. Uh, meanwhile, Magnum and Sharon run out of the banana patch across the highway and to, to an abandoned uh, pier. Mm-hmm. It's it's like an, they like like an industrial dock that's been shut down. Yeah, it looks like they were doing like uh, construction there or something yeah, or like. But it's 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 blasting. basically it's uh, fenced in, condemned. It's like no trespassing. Don't come in here. Yeah. Um, and eventually the other guys get out of there as well. And they basically see the same area and basically head down to where Magnum and Sharon went. But now we get some uh, because. They're so far ahead, Magnum and Sharon are able to take a second after really not gracefully ascending the fence. Now, I actually want to give the the Magnum props for realism here, because as we've seen before in previous episodes, the one with the the, thank heaven for little girls and big ones too, Magnum gracefully climbs over a fence in that episode. He also equally gracefully climbs over a fence in this episode, and then he helps Sharon up and around, and Sharon takes her sweet-ass time getting over there. There's sort of an awkward leg thing, and I'm like, that is exactly what I would look like if I was climbing (laughs) this fence. Thank you, television. So we get to learn a little bit about uh, Sharon, because Magnum's been sort of ribbing her about being afraid of dogs. He's like, no, I'm not afraid of dogs. Obviously not. I work with dogs all the time. I'm I work a... at the animal... Con- I work for, like, the Department of Agriculture or whatever, yeah, right? I, I work with the animal control thing for the quarantine, whatever the department you said before. Um, you know, I'm obviously not afraid of dogs. Uh, she's just freaking out because she's a, you know, she's a desk jockey uh, who's being shot at. So that's kind of rattling. But she's actually... She's also afraid of dogs. 
And he's like, well, why did you take that job? And she 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 wanted to be a marine biologist. Yeah, she has a master's degree in marine biology. She wants to save the whales. but How very 1980s. Yeah, but you can't just go right into that department. You basically have to put in time doing the job that no one wants. Which is dealing with... Animal quarantine. Yeah, cranky people from, like, all over the world who want to be reunited with their precious baby angels. uh, And, you know, four months, and no, it's not negotiable. And, 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 like, it sounds like it would be a crummy job. Yeah, but she's like, if they found out I was afraid of dogs, then they'd fire me from this job, and then I'd never get to hang out with the whales. So you learn a little bit about her, and she admits that she's actually afraid of dogs. And I'd like to think if we came back and saw Sharon now, she'd probably, like, she seems like in her, like, early 60s and almost near retirement, maybe, like, the head of, like, the marine biology department or something like that. Mm-hmm. It all worked out for her. Maybe has a cat. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't, she, she doesn't say she's afraid of cats. Yeah. So we then go back to the the clearing just outside the banana plantation. Somehow Mustache managed to get past the druggists. Like, I don't know how he got past these guys. Old man wiles. Yeah. I got my old man smarts about me. That's exactly what he would sound like if you asked him. The two younger guys are like, they must be down at that marina. And he's like, all right, so here's the plan. And one of the guys does like the comedy bit of like, oh, now you want to make a plan. The three of them are a farce, basically, is what is what's happening. So they Magnum sees them coming. They run inside the building. They look around. Uh, a bunch of the doors aren't just locked. They're actually sealed. Yeah, so Magnum so, can't use his lock-picking skills. Yeah, and uh, he manages to uh, knock one of the guys out with, like a, a, like, a barrel. Yeah, the guy is coming up the stairs. Magnum hears this, throws a barrel over the side, and beans him. Yeah, one of the other young guys climbs up, is starting to climb up the balcony on the other side, like, goes around the building, gets up on some rocks, tries to climb up the balcony to the second story where they are. Magnum just, like, runs over, punches him out, and then runs back inside. It's Yeah, I'd like really to think comical. he then... I, he seems fine afterwards, but I'm like, that guy's head might have split open. <laughs> yeah. And then as the old guy starts shooting through the doorway that Magnum and Sharon are hiding behind, starts shouting, I just want my dog. And you're like, huh? Is this, is this Mrs. Marsden's ex-husband is what immediately springs to mind. Is this just like a long dog custody dispute? Miss Marsden was the Nazis. Oh, oh, that's why the trouble started. It all comes together. <laughs> no, it's, well, I mean, we'll find out later. But so Magnum and Sharon are basically trapped on this balcony and they are spotted. Thankfully, Magnum's bright red colored shirt is spotted by TC, who's flying in, sort of sees them and goes, what is happening now? But there's, of course, a helipad near the near the abandoned marina. So he's like, all right, flies over, touches down. They manage to get inside and start flying away. Victor uh, does manage to shoot a bullet hole through TC's uh, windshield, mm-hmm. which can't be cheap because it's no, a big-ass piece of glass. No, TC actually says that Magnum owes him $450 to replace the glass in his bird. It comes up later, but it's uh, $1,013.59 he works out. Yeah, that, that Magnum Plus, plus tax, him. he says, because it's, it's, he's charging him $200 for the flight out and $200 for the flight back. I mean, that's fair. That's that's uh, TC's time. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, by the way, at the end of this, that $1,015 and some cents is about, it's it's almost $2,600 that, that TC has racked up in expenses. However, I feel that Mrs. Marsden is is good for this, and then Magnum can probably just invoice her for the protection probably. of her dog. Yeah. Turns out, it's really hard to get this dog. Yeah, Magnum, Magnum is a good dog guardian. And then we cut to Higgins saying what we're all thinking. 
which is, this is literally the quote, that whole episode is absurd. Yes, that's true. <laughs> Higgins does not believe Magnum at all. Yeah, he actually, like, Magnum and TC are both like, seriously, this is actually what happened. We can show you the bullet hole in TC's helicopter. And Higgins is like, no, you're making this up. This is nuts. I mean, fair to Higgins. Yeah, and Magnum's like, seriously, uh, no. Higgins, I swear to you this happened, and we need to call Rick. This goes above and beyond, and Magnum has an inkling that this is not simply a dog ownership dispute, that perhaps this has ties to the criminal underworld, because this is nuts. And uh, Rick also has ties to the criminal underworld. This is the kind of first time that you see that Rick has some seedy connections. He also says, in the, Magnum also says in the narration, uh, Rick thought the plan had some holes that might end up in him. <laughs> he was not thrilled about this. But he does it anyhow. I love this. This is like respect for the intelligence of the criminals. Rick, in a pool cleaning truck, drives out of the Robin Masters estate and starts being tailed by the criminals. Who are back in their sedan. I guess they got it out of the woods. Yeah. Or the banana plantation. They force him off the road, get inside, hijack it, and take him back to their place. And the reason that they know that it's BS is because... Robin Masters only has a tidal pool and you don't clean those. <laughs> and mm. Rick's like, oh, I thought, you know, I thought that was odd. Yeah. You know, trying to like awkwardly cover. Whereas they want him to, they wanted him to do this. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and the guy like in the passenger seat, he like knocks on the wall behind the driver and passenger seats and you hear a dog bark and he's like, aha, perfect. Great. We got the dog. This is where TC starts running off the bill for Magnum as mm-hmm. they trail Rick's van in the helicopter. He's like, well, $200 for the trip where I rescued you, $200 for this trip, $450 for the window, plus the $153.59 you owed me earlier comes to this total. And Magnum's like, yeah, 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 we'll get it. So yeah, as you say, Rick pretends to know Mr. DiGiorno or DiGiorgio or Delivery or whatever his yeah, name he is. Yeah, drops his, he, he drops his real name. He's like, I'm Orville from Chicago. Yeah, remember? And maybe it's true, I don't know, but Mr. DiGiorgio doesn't actually know who React. Rick is. Yeah, but he's he he tries to you know, he tries to play it up. Can we talk about what Rick is wearing? Please do. Oh, it is uh, a tank top that's got like a logo or some like some sort of Hawaiian thing on it and a pair of like short shorts because this is the only length that men's shorts came in in 1981 was real short mm-hmm. and they are extremely high-waisted and mm-hmm. the tank top is tucked into the shorts. <laughs> he is also wearing some flip-flops and he looks like a goon. Like he looks, he looks so like a, terrible. He looks like a pool boy. The saddest pool boy. <laughs> <laughs> so it turns out, because Rick does manage to get this information out of him, that Algie used to be Victor's dog, Victor DiGiorgio. Algie used to belong to him. And he doesn't care about the dog so much as what is tattooed on the dog. This is a plot hole, and I will bring it up later, but there's a plot hole here. Go ahead. Rick, still sort of trying to be in this affable pool boy character, is like, you tattooed your dog? That's crazy, man. Uh, Eventually, uh, Victor's like, would you just please open the door of the thing? Yeah, Victor is scared to open the door himself because he says the dog will tear him apart. He remembers. The dog remembers being abandoned. Rick is like, all right, fine. Goes and whips open the door of the van to reveal... Zeus and Apollo. Yeah, who, who I called being yeah, actually in the van. Of course. And very they, obvious. They leap out and uh, they both go after, I think, Mitch. Yale one. Yeah, while Rick attacks Steve. Higgins actually is also in the back of the van <laughs> to take care of the lads. 
Higgins loves his dogs so much. Yeah, so he he leaps out, and then uh, TC and Magnum uh, land and run in and hold and- up Victor Gugolio at uh, at at gunpoint, and and they apprehend all three of them, and that's sort of the the big the big kind of climax. Mm-hmm. Like, they you know they catch them. They find out what it is after the fact is that before Victor was originally arrested for doing crime and for doing many crime doing doing many crime and sent up river as it is colloquially known to the pen he uh put a whole bunch of money 4 million dollars into a swiss bank account and anybody with the number can access the bank account and he tattooed the number on the dog left the dog with his girlfriend who's a hairdresser they had a falling out while he was in prison and to spite him the hairdresser gave the dog away to one of her clients mrs marsden victor is after this dog because this dog is basically the password to about 10 and a quarter million dollars yeah if so, i was magnum i would have cl- or no actually i wouldn't clean out that bank account because people would come after you yeah, oh that guy's probably going back to jail for a long time uh, probably maybe six months I mean, uh... I mean, testify, attempted murder? I was about to say, I guess the worst you could get is attempted murder, and that's actually pretty bad. Originally, I was like, what are they going to get him for? Like, like, attempted dog napping? Like, what? But no, you're right. Attempted murder, yeah. That's fair. They did shoot at at Magnum and Sharon. Multiple times. Yeah. True facts. And then the episode ends with uh, what's actually going to happen to Algy is that he's going to stay at the Robin Masters estate for a while, but unfortunately... He still has to be in quarantine. Well, he has to be separated from Zeus and Apollo. So Zeus and Apollo get put in the cage. I don't think that's actually going to be how it works. And Higgins is really sad about it. And Magnum says, uh, well, cheer up, Higgins. They'll forgive you someday. And Higgins says, oh, they quite understand. Believe me, Magnum, I've explained to them precisely who is responsible for their incarceration. Mm. And then smiles and walks away, and the lads start growling at Magnum. <laughs> Uh, this episode is dumb. It's it, yeah. It was fun. It was a nice, lighthearted change from recently. That's true. And the stakes were higher than most lighthearted episodes, right? Yeah, yeah, they were. I think I would have liked it more had they not been pursued by three Warner Brothers cartoons. <laughs> I don't know. I like. I I actually like the younger guys. They're like, no, you idiot. We're gonna do this the the way that crime is done now, not the way that you do a crime. But unfortunately, he was very, very cartoony. Mm-hmm. But there you go. Academy Award winning, Academy Award nominated. Yeah, actor. let's not confuse winning in here. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, and something I mentioned earlier in the episode that I wanted to actually clarify because I've referred to my notes and realized that I was incorrect. The tennis pros are actually mentioned by name, and it's Jimmy Connors and Bjorn Borg. Oh, so they're real tennis pros. Yeah, because they went by so quickly, I was like, oh, and they're they're just meant to be sort of composite you know, tennis pro sounding people to evoke the idea of, no, no, it's meant to be Jimmy Connors and Bjorn Borg. Okay. Once I got the reveal, I'm like, this is so stupid because they didn't need to kidnap the dog at all. All they needed to do is sneak in, drug the dog, get the number of the tattoo and then go away. They didn't need to take it. And if they hadn't needed to take it, because they didn't need to, all they needed to do is figure out where he was being held and then come in quietly at night and just see him for like two minutes, maybe shave a patch off him. They were alone with the dog 
at the kennel before Magnum got there for several minutes. Yeah, exactly. Like, there is no reason to kidnap the dog if all you need is a tattoo number. Like I said, all you need to do... Maybe he didn't tell them, but then why would they go along with it? Exactly. No, he must have told them. Like, what is... Like, how dumb are all of these people? (laughs) Take a photo! Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Anyhow. uh, I feel like most Magnum episodes are good. Uh, and this one had some, you know, some good character moments and stuff. My, but the plot of this is a is fairly flimsy. My biggest objection, actually, to the episode is the title, "The Ugliest Dog in Hawaii." It had nothing to do with it. He's not ugly. He's quite cute. Yeah. I mean, he's maybe not a purebred. He's just an old. He's an old mix, and he's you know he's getting on in years, but he looks cute. He's there's nothing wrong with him at all. Mm-hmm. I was expecting like a like a Chinese crested situation here. Yeah. Very strange. Those are the dogs that normally win the world's ugliest dog competitions. Because if those dogs like get kind of inbred, they get all hairless and their teeth stick out and their eyes go wall-eyed and awful. Ugh. Their um, tongues hang out of their mouths. <laughs> Just look up world's ugliest dog and you'll see a variety of breeding mistakes. Yeah, this is not the world's ugliest dog. This podcast is brought to you by you, our listeners, uh, and your kind support of our Patreon at patreon.com slash loadingreadyrun. And we truly value your support to let us do this and all the other fun things that we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we will be back next week for the episode Missing in Action. Oh, that sounds way heavier. I'm pretty excited about it. It's, uh, oh, hey, it's also directed by Robert Loja. Oh. Guess he got some, a lot of directing in on this one. Neat. And that's it for this week. Yeah. Do we have a dog-related sign-off we can do? Sit, Ubu, sit. Good dog. Like, remember that would air after some. I don't know what the family pro- ties. Yeah, but I don't know what production company that's for. It was Ubu, wasn't it? Well, yeah, it was Ubu Productions. It was uh, Gary David Goldberg, Family Ties, Brooklyn Bridge, and Spin City. Okay, but that's not. No, that doesn't work for this sign off. But I no. mean, that's good trivia. Um, you know what? If you have any suggestions about a Magnum sign off pun that we can use, you know what? Let us know. Uh, leave us a review in iTunes, uh, leave us a comment in the threads on the loadingreadyrun.com forums, or maybe just ping us on Twitter, Graham underscore LRR, and at Kathleen underscore LRR, uh, and perhaps we will use them. Uh, regardless, whatever you come up with will be better than whatever we have able to come up with, which is nothing. I'm going to go and have a dog nap. Is that like a cat nap, except related to this episode? Yeah, because dog napping. That sounds great. Good. Good night. Zeus, Apollo, lick. Yeah. No, it's like a friendly lick. Oh, okay. <laughs>